0: Acts 14, part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas. Chow. Today is Palm Sunday. Yes, that means we are one week out from Easter. That means this week is Holy Week. And as you have heard, Holy Week means that we have early morning services every single weekday at 6 a.m. We're partnering with Joy Christian Fellowship. They're right here in Englewood. They have a beautiful sanctuary that they're willing to share with us. I believe Pastor Mike is preaching tomorrow. Pastor Ancy is going to be preaching Wednesday. Pastor Clay is doing Good Friday. A lot of things to be excited for, so I hope to see you there at that really early hour. Hour. I don't enjoy it, but I will be there. Hope to see you there as well. Also, for Easter, Easter is next week, and we have these beautiful rave cards. If you saw, um, the, yes, ooh, they put so much work into this. Um, invite a friend, and it's so easy because all you do is have to just give them a card, right? Just be like, here. And then walk away so that's what i'm going to be doing at my gym i'm just gonna be like passing them out and then i'm gonna walk away right and hopefully someone will show up who knows maybe someone will have questions who knows but definitely do that utilize what we have here palm sunday is observing the day that jesus fulfilled the prophecy that the messiah is going to ride into jerusalem on a donkey And so that's what he does. In the greater timeline of Jesus's ministry, this is right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So this was a big deal. Word got out. There's a buzz within the Jewish community and there's a lot of excitement because they're like, wow, this guy is legit. He's the legit Messiah. He's moving in power. He's raising people to life. God has chosen this man to be the Messiah. However, their expectation the Messiah versus the reality of the Messiah were very different. Their expectation was for a political militant Messiah who was going to free them from the oppression of Rome and there was a huge uprising and the Messiah would lead them. The reality is that Jesus was a spiritual, a divine Messiah who longed to free them from the bondage of sin. So yes, Jesus does enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. It says a large crowd met him and they laid out their cloaks. They cut branches down. They laid that down. They made a path for Jesus to ride in. And um, we see that the crowds, uh, they were cheering Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Amen. Hosanna is a, is a word for praise and adoration. But when I read this account, I always wonder, how did Jesus feel when he saw all this? All this parading. How did Jesus feel? Was Jesus happy? Was he encouraged? Did he sit up in his donkey and feel good that they were cheering? Or was he sad? Was he broken? Because he knew that these people we're going to turn around and call for his crucifixion. Jesus knew that the hearts of men were fickle. It's hard because you have to consider Jesus' heart for God's people. God's heart for us. It must have been so hard for him to ride in last week something Pastor Peter spoke on was embracing God's pursuit of us so that we can live in intimacy with the Father and when you read this what you have to take away what it is implicitly telling us is that God wants to be with you God wants to be with you turn to somebody and say God wants to be with you God wants to be with you God wants, to be with you. Amen. God wants to be with you. That's right. It's exciting. The whole Bible, all of the Bible is about God getting his people back to him. Amen. That is what we, that book is. It's about God bringing his people back in the most complete and powerful way. His love on full display. So you need to sit on this. For just a second. Sit on that. If God wants to be with you and God cares about you, that means he cares about your loneliness. He cares about your anxiety at work. He cares about your broken marriage. He cares about your rebellious children. He cares about the mistakes that you've made. He cares about you. He cares about your past. He cares about your present. He cares about your future. He cares about you. If you long for intimacy with God, with the Father in heaven, you must know that the Father infinitely longs for more with you. Amen. Longs for infinitely more with you, right? If you read the book of John, that's essentially what that book is about. It's about Jesus trying to let people know who he is. He's the son of God, the father, and he wants to be with people. And it's because of this heart that he has for his people that he goes, he rides into Jerusalem, he's betrayed, he's tortured, he's crucified. All for the sake of reconciliation. All for the sake of intimacy with his people. So as we go through today's text, we see what Paul goes through for the sake of this heart, for the sake of this message. You know, my heart broke when I read this because Paul endures so much for Jesus. And for a while, as I was studying this text for Sunday, the only thing I could take away from it was, this world doesn't love us. This world doesn't love me. This world doesn't love you. This world doesn't love anyone. This world doesn't love us. It's almost as if the only thing that's guaranteed in the human experience is pain. Yet there was something that Paul was alert to as we go through it. There's something that is so much bigger, so much larger, so much more beautiful, so much. It was so powerful, so potent that it caused Paul, who was half dead, to stand up again and continue his work. And that is God's heart for his people, for us. So you bow with me in in prayer. We're just going to pray. And right now, if this is something that you're a little cold to, If this is something that maybe you felt before, um, maybe it was like a passing, a fleeting thing, just pray, Father, I want to be awakened to your passionate heart for me today. Father, I want to experience your passionate heart for me right now in all the areas of my life. Hmm. Father, you are good. You are good. You are faithful, Lord. We declare you as such. But some people in here have not experienced that faithfulness. They don't feel like they know you in that way. There are pieces of their life in which they don't see your faithfulness. They don't see your love, Lord God. Would there be breakthrough today, Lord? Would you be glorified today, Lord Father? Would your glory come and bring healing in this place? Would eyes be opened to how fiercely you love your people, God? Would all the things spoken be pleasing unto your name, Lord? Would your people glorify you and respond to your word? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So at the end of chapter 13, last week, the people of Antioch are all listening. It says the whole city is listening to Paul and Barnabas share the gospel. And they have all this influence going on and they're sharing, they're performing all these things and even the Gentiles there are there and they're hearing the word and they're so honored that Paul is telling them that this word is for them too. Everyone is pleased, but then the Jewish leaders in the city get jealous because of the influence that they have. And what they do is they incite the city to persecute Paul and Barnabas. It, the text says they heaped abuse onto Paul. So what happened was it got so toxic there that they had to leave. Right? They packed up, they dusted off their sandals in protest, and then they left and they head to Iconium. And that's where we pick up in chapter 14. Jews others with the Apostles there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them but they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel in Lystra there sat a man who was lame he had been that way from birth and had never walked he listened to Paul as he was speaking Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So we're here in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, right? They are neighboring cities. They're about 90 miles southeast from Antioch. I believe we have a map to show that There's the map. And so um, where we see like the bunch of arrows on that northern section, that's uh, where Paul and Barnabas are currently Right now, um, as we see, there's two Antiochs. There's one up north, there's one on the east side. But don't be confused, they're different cities. Um, if we look at that island down there at the south, just to mark, it's an easy marker, that's Paphos, where Paul blinded the sorcerer Elemis, and then you know they, they proclaimed the word of God there, and then they moved up north. And so here we are, we're moving from Antioch down to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. What happens in Iconium is pretty much a replica of what happens at the end of chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas share the gospel, the people believe, everyone's excited about this word, and then the Jewish leaders poison the minds of the people there. And we can assume that it is out of jealousy for the influence and the attention that they're getting. And despite the signs and the wonders they're performing, all these miracles that are happening within the city, They decide that they want to abuse and stone them. It's crazy. And we have to be uh, very careful here. Stoning was something that came, uh, it was only executed from high religious authority. You could only uh, execute stoning if you were coming from high religious authority. But this was not that. This had nothing to do with that. This was a Jew, Gentile mix of people, this mob. And essentially what they were doing is they were plotting to abuse them and to murder them. And that's why Paul and Barnabas decide to flee. Two things to note here about Paul's ministry. One is that Luke is being super-duper intentional on supporting Paul's apostolic authority, his authority that God has uh, just given him. And we see that through uh, how Luke writes. He calls Paul, both Paul and Barnabas uh, apostles in verse 4, and then he reiterates that in verse 14. We also see here a healing in verse 8, similar to Peter's back in chapter 3, if you recall. So Peter, he saw a, a lame man, he healed him, and then the lame man stood up, and then he came to faith in the Lord. Uh, whereas Paul's was more of a, the lame man heard Paul speaking and sharing about the gospel and then Paul saw he had faith so then he healed this man through his faith, right? So it's a little different but we still see that Paul is full of God's authority and power. Paul is a full-fledged apostle. So while they're sharing, all these things are happening, things take a weird turn, really weird turn here, right? So while they're sharing to the people, Instead of rejecting the gospel or accepting the gospel, they choose route number three, which is to worship them as gods, right? That's what they choose to do. They believe that Barnabas is Zeus and they believe that Paul is Hermes and they're like going out of their minds. The priest, the priest of Zeus comes from his temple and he's bringing these bulls with wreaths and they're gonna sacrifice the bulls to them and they, they, they're having this huge thing Because it's literally, they believe that gods are among mortals right now. And this grieves Paul and Barnabas, right? They run out into the crowd. They protest. They say, no, no, we're human. We're just human. We're no one. We're just bringing you the message of God. And then verse 17 to 20 happens. He, God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. It's kind of insane yeah. reading this, right? You have this mob that goes from sacrificing to them, worshiping them as gods, and they turn around and they stone Paul. Right? And we ha- when we read this, we have to make sure we don't read it like, oh, Paul wasn't hurt. Paul had this divine protection on him and the stones bounced off of him like bullets through the Superman, No. They stopped stoning Paul because he was so mangled, they thought he was dead. If you read the book of Galatians, Paul talks about the marks of Jesus that he has on his body. And this very well could be from this incident. So you talk about change of heart. It's kind of crazy. And it's a little disturbing to read how they flip so but the more you think about it, it's not all that far-fetched. This world will wound us, but we hurt the people we love all the time. Husbands, wives, children, parents, friends, coworkers. We hurt the people we love all the time. And yeah, we may not be casting a literal stone at them. But we stone them verbally. We abuse them emotionally. Yeah, we hurt them physically. Happens all the time. During the time that I was dating my wife, up until our engagement, I was awesome. (laughs) I was really awesome. I mean, I'm the singles pastor for sure. but it was, it was so good. And, you know, my parents brought up this issue. They, they didn't approve of her when I brought her to them. Right? They were like, no, she's not good enough for you. But I said, no, no. We're not having any of that. No, no. I protected her. She was safe and secure in my arms. Right? And then, you know, I bought a ring. I put a ring on it. I made sure to tell her when so she could get her nails done so she could take the the picture, this this picture, right? This one, this picture. We got married. But during the engagement process, um, while we were engaged, this deep-seated fear in me arose. And I realized that I was terrified of being a bad husband. It was only because my father was a bad husband. So that's that's what I got. And so I was so scared I was going to make the same mistakes with her. I'd repeat the same things. But we're married now. And you know, we have such a good time together. Right? I respect and love this woman so much. I love you. <laughs> She works really hard. Her job sucks. <laughs> she's an orthopedic consultant, and so she's on call a lot. And you know, we'll have to cancel a lot of dates because she has to go to the hospital, make things, like, make sure things are okay. But you know, it's totally cool with me. I respect her, I respect her work, so you know, you, you do what you gotta do. And then she goes. But one night, eight months, about eight, seven or eight months into our marriage, I had a meeting scheduled that night, it was at 7.30, had a meeting, great meeting. Meeting ended at 9.30. My woman knew I was coming home a little past 9.30. Right after the meeting though, one of the people there came to me, they had experienced some trauma, they needed prayer, they wanted to talk and of course it was really heavy stuff so we sat down and I love this person so we were just talking and praying. And then that took me to about 10 o'clock, so it's 10 o'clock. And I call Sonya, and I'm like, yeah, I know. She's gonna understand. Like, she knows this person, she knows their story. Of course she's gonna understand. I call her, I'm like, hey, so sorry. Like, something came up, you know, this came up. But she was being so short and snappy and annoyed. And I hung up as I was driving home, and I thought one of my not-so-proudest thoughts I thought to myself, I am going to give this woman a piece of my mind. So I drove home like that and I just just marinated, right? I drove home, parked my car, went into the apartment. She's sitting on the couch and she's just ignoring me, right? She's just staring into the abyss. So I walk over, I sit next to her and I'm like, okay, she's going to ignore me. So I get up in her face and I say, I'm upset at you. I'm upset at you because I feel like you don't respect my work that you're being insensitive to the situation, and you're being really rude right now. (laughs) (laughs) She gave me, this is is what she did. That's literally, she just turned her head. And in the next five or six minutes, I don't know how, we pressed every single trigger button possible. And six minutes later, we are screaming at each other. She's punching my chest, she's pushing me, she's flailing. I'm screaming back at her. I grab her arms because she's like flailing too much. She's like, get off me, I let go. And we're being sarcastic, we're being snide, we're laughing at each other. And finally it gets to the point where she she starts walking off and she's like, I can't be here anymore, can't be here anymore, I gotta go. And I said, where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna go? we're kind of dramatic, (laughs) it's funny, and you know, she's crying and I'm crying and she's putting on her jacket and as she's putting on her jacket, my world stopped. She's putting on her jacket and on her forearm, I said, I bruised her because I, I was holding her too hard. And in that moment, I heard a dark voice, and they said, look at that, you're just like your father. I had a meltdown on the spot. I cried and I cried and you know we can laugh about it now because like she's trying to put on her jacket and leave I started putting on my jacket I tried to leave and no one's gonna be at the apartment because we're just (laughs) both leaving (laughs) but I couldn't look at her I couldn't look at her for two days without crying and apologizing and feeling so much shame and disgust for myself I made my wife my enemy. When I read the text, it seems a stone can come from anywhere. The crowds turn on them so quickly. Doesn't life feel that way sometimes? Things can go wrong at every turn. Work, health, family. It's almost like life is stoning us. Not even our minds are safe. I've been reading a book by Kurt Thompson. Uh, He's a Christian psychiatrist. It's on shame. And this is what he has to say about uh, those overly judgmental people. Shamed people, shame people. Long before we are criticizing others, the source of that criticism has been planted fertilized, and grown in our own lives, directed at us, and often in ways we are mostly unaware of. Suffice to say that our self-judgment, that tendency to tell ourselves that we are not enough, not thin enough, not smart enough, not funny enough, not enough, is the nidus out of which grows our judgment of others. In a heartbeat, we can turn on ourselves and slay ourselves with a thought. Listen to yourself talk, (laughs) idiot. You're so stupid. No one wants me. I'm not worth it. I'm alone. No one sees me. No one cares. The unfortunate reality that we have to see here Is that we are all broken and we are all wounded every single person in this room you don't have to turn your head but everyone your eyes touch is broken and wounded and hurt you know some are better packaged than others some of us are leaking because there are many wounds that we haven't dealt with so what are they What are the stones in your life that have wounded you? How have you been dealing with these wounds? Do you even know where to begin? And then we have Paul. We have Paul who's either dead because that's what stoning does or he's pretty close to dying and the the disciples, they gather around him, and we have to acknowledge here that a miracle has probably taken place because he was definitely really hurt, but then he gets up and then heads back into the city. So for a second, let's forget the physical pain that he must have endured. Let's forget the mental trauma he must have received after he experienced this. What on earth is driving this man to go back and continue the work that just almost got him killed? Where is this urgency coming from? We get a hint of that from verse 15 to 17. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you, we are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. While this crowd is trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, their plea to them is God's heart for them. Their plea to them is to give all credit to God, that this almighty God came and was kind and wanted to provide for them and wanted to help them, even if they didn't know him. And even as Paul goes through persecution, we see this. The Bible actually gives us a pretty short account of Paul's persecution in 2 Corinthians 11. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn. I mean clearly having being faithful has no perks, it's supposed to be funny. Um, And yet this man is able to attest to God's faithfulness. Go to first Thessalonians, he says rejoice always, give thanks always, pray continually, the one who calls you is faithful. This is not the type of thing that you can fake until you make. Exactly. You cannot. Mm-hmm. You must have experienced the overwhelming, all-consuming love of God in your life in order to give this type of testimony. So how do we experience God's passionate heart for us? Two points. The first, we must persevere in weakness. Second Corinthians 12, the very next chapter. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We must allow ourselves to be weak and to surrender control to God. And I know weakness is a posture that we do not like because we don't like things that don't go our way. I get it. It's, it's hard. We do not like being in that posture. But when you are weak, you are letting God be God. And that word, surrender, because surrender is beautiful. Surrender is not losing. Do not confuse that. In this context, surrender is not losing. Surrender is different from resignation. Resignation, um, a brilliant professor, he clarified this to me. Resignation is rooted in distrust. Resignation is discouraged. It's defeated. It sounds like whatever. It sounds like I don't care anymore. It sounds like I'm done with this. Resignation proclaims a powerless God. Resignation is giving up. Surrender is giving in. Surrender is giving in. Surrender comes from when you are wrestling with God in your anger, in your doubt, in your sadness, in your loneliness. Surrender comes from that place. And it proclaims a Christ who is in power. It is when you say, God, this is bigger than me. This is greater than me. But it is not greater than you. That is surrender. So when Paul gets up and he goes back into the city, we see he's not rubbing it in to the leaders. He's not showing them what now? Here I am, I'm fine, untouchable. He goes back into the city. says, Father, this is bigger than me. And then they move on to the next city. He has surrendered everything to God. The second thing we must do to experience God's heart for us is to hear it, to know it, and to feel it. I mean, it makes sense, Right? Have you ever gone into the word and tried to study what God's heart for you is? Have you ever read the text and taken it and pitted it up against a specific life circumstance that may have happened to you? Have you ever wrestled with how that promise or its statement may, have apply, may apply to you? Because Paul knew the scripture. He was a very educated Pharisee. And he knew what God was saying. So we're going to take a peek. Ezekiel 36, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. God wants to restore his people. Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God is our forever love. Isaiah 43, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God calls you by name. Amen. And God is with you Amen. always. Amen. Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is healing you. God is taking care of you. Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God takes great delight in you. Lately, I've been having a lot of conversations with people where childhood wounding has been a topic that comes up. And these are really tough conversations to have because they get really emotional. Uh, Oftentimes, it's the first time they are bringing this up. And what has occurred on several different occasions during this conversation is they cry and then they say, this happened so long ago. This shouldn't be bothering me now. And then that's usually followed by, I know God loves me, but just doesn't, I, don't, I just don't feel that. I just can't get there in this place. And all of this comes from not having meditated on God's heart and not surrendering these wounds. It comes from not letting him speak life into places of death. There's a story I have about a past wound um, from the fifth grade. And I wrote about it. And I was sharing because at first it was funny. just trying to get people to know interesting tidbits about myself. But the more I meditated on God's heart, and the more I heard him, and the more I prayed about this, I started looking at this differently. And it reads like this. Socially, I just wanted to hang out with the popular kids in school. I wasn't too quick on the uptake, because I don't think they liked me too much. I didn't understand how these kids could be so nice to me one on one but be so hateful when we were all together. Anything I ever said in confidence was exposed to the whole school the very next day. Apparently I wasn't a very good looking child so people called me names and made faces when they saw me. I thought I was ugly and I had to compensate for my lack of things by lying. So whenever we talked about games or things we did, I lied, I beat that game. I scored higher on that test, and I had a better story. I just wanted them to want me around. I discovered my love for a very specific type of video game around this time. RPGs, role-playing games, were my escape from my world. I was too scared to go to school, and I was scared at home. But when I played these games, I was a hero. I would rename all the main characters Doug. I was the main character, the strongest, the most honorable, and the most desired. I saved the world, and I got the girl. But most of all, people wanted me to be there. I used to share this because it played a large part of who I was. I was really insecure. I was really scared and I I actually struggled with lying up until my mid-twenties. I thought I was a pathological liar. And then I would share this and then I would just dismiss it. And I would say, you know, I was just a stupid kid. I couldn't change those circumstances. I wish I did it differently. But the more I surrender this wound to God, And the more I meditate on what he has to say, the more I experience his heart for me. I tell my fifth grade self, I'm so proud of you. You were so brave. I would tell him, that God was there comforting him, delighting in him, and singing over him, rejoicing that he was there with him. See, it's only in surrendering this wound to my heavenly Father and meditating on his heart for me That this 20 plus year wound is finally healing. So, what is it that you need to be weak about today? How might God be speaking into that? Let's pray together. So what is it? Ask the Lord. And if there's a place of hopelessness in your life, a past pain or regret, that you don't believe God has touched that God is capable of healing. Won't you invite him in? If you cannot believe the word of God that was read today, that he rejoices over you, that he is binding up your wounds. That he is restoring you. That he calls you his own. That he calls you by name. Is that something you cannot fully believe? I want to challenge you. Ask God, show me. Help me. What is it that you need to surrender to him today? Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that when we are unfaithful, when we are scared, when we abandon you, when we lock the doors in fear, you appear and you give us your presence and you say, peace be with you. By peace I breathe upon you and you gift us with the Holy Spirit. You are not a God that kicks down doors. God is not forcing you into submission. So, Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters here today to you. I commit them into your hands, Lord. And would they know how far Fiercely, you love them. How fiercely you, de- you desire for them to be close to you. For all the bent wills to be unbent, Lord. For those who only stare at your feet to rise and to stare at your face, Lord. To stare at their father, Lord. Because they are sons and daughters. They are a chosen people. They are redeemed. They are righteous. They have an inheritance in you. They are being restored. They are being sanctified. There is no part in their life that you cannot touch. There is no darkness that is too overwhelming for you, Lord God. But you, Lord, when we invite you, you come and you answer. You break down old foundations, Lord, and you build up new ones, good ones. We no longer have to be scared of who we are or what will we become. But our confidence is in you alone. We are no longer slaves. You have freed us, God. Would each and every single person here take hold of their freedom right now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you have your communication card, there's some next steps on the other side. The first is that I am committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. This is great news. This is the best news. If this is you, uh, if you're checking this off, please, uh, right outside those double doors, there's a table called the next table. Someone will be there. They'd love to talk with you, to pray with you, to answer any of your questions, to walk with you. We are celebrating this decision today. The next is, I will commit to doing a genogram to potentially reveal any wounding in my life. If you don't know what a genogram is, that's essentially a family map, a family history of your relationships and what happens. Just wiki it, Google it, you'll see it. There's plenty of resources online. If you need to ask someone about it, feel free to email me, Pastor Mike, any of the pastors here, um, they'd be more than happy to help you out with that. But this is a really great exercise, especially if you're married, to do with your spouse just un- unveil just things that you may not have noticed before. So definitely try that. The third is I will ask someone I trust for prayer over an area of hopelessness in my life. A lot of times, hopelessness it stops us from praying. So, in faith, would you ask someone that you know, that knows you well, that loves you, to pray over that? to pray hope back into that area of your life. The fourth is, I will attend the Holy Week service this week at 6 a.m. I know that's early, it's really early. Um, But just go, be blessed, the services are amazing. sure there'll be a word. This is a great time for us to stretch and to really marinate uh, in God's presence as we head into Easter. And the final one is I will invite three people to our Easter service celebration next Sunday. Really, it's easy. Just grab a rave card, pass it off, you know, done. Check, check, check. It's easy, right? If you go to the gym, it's definitely something I like to do. So please do that.